Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how School Status can change your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 67, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Move over helicopter parents, lawnmower parents are coming through. It turns out that the 2008 financial crisis completely changed what students are majoring in, And should you be able to be a teacher and a pole dance instructor? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, Matthew Morris is back to give us some tips on how you can make your classroom more inclusive. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Lissa Pruitt, and education data expert, Russ Davis of School Status. Lissa, how you doing? I'm good. Russ, are you going to get the new iPhone? Yes. What? Sorry. Didn't they just come out? What are y'all talking about? They just, <laughs> I swear, two weeks ago, y'all were, they had the same conversation. You didn't hear hey, the, the we announcement? We this conversation all the time because we have had the same conversation since they came out with the first iPhone, I think. When when did the X one come out or whatever it was called? The 10, by the way. The it's 10. the 10. It <laughs> that came was, out about a year ago. Yeah. So a year ago. Uh, it was announced this week. Crazy. And uh, yep, the uh, the the 10s. Okay, I mean, I just want to say this one thing. I like Apple products and all that, whatever. But if they would write the X like a Roman numeral X, but they don't. They use their skinny little aerial font. They don't use know, aerial. It's scaring the hell out of aerial font. But you do have a valid point. It's not very (laughs) Roman-like. I'm just saying, it doesn't look like a Roman numeral. It just looks like a big O X. You know? Yeah. That's all. That's that's a valid point. Well, thanks for thanks for ruining that for me, Lissa. What do you have going on in the teachers' lounge? Okay, I think this is so funny, and I couldn't agree more. But we've all heard of helicopter parents, right? They hover over their children and they just like want everything to work out so badly for their children. And they, you know, constantly there over the top. Well, there's a new type of parent in town. Oh, yeah. Ready for this? Yeah. I mean, are the helicopter parents still around or these like the helicopter parents are there. But now this is this is where the helicopter parents have taken it to the next level and those parents are called lawnmower parents. <laughs> <laughs> There's still some it's type new, of rotor, yeah. It's a new type of helicopter parent because they actually mow down anything that could possibly <laughs> hurt their child. <laughs> they could possibly make their child sense any sign of struggle or failure or face any adversity that they just mow it down out of the way to where it's like non-existent so like the kids a tremendous disservice to their children yeah like you're saying that the kids are like a box essentially like they make sure that they don't let them like go a day without their lunch and then bring it that's right that's right or think they don't have their lunch and then it shows up they're like they're like it running it back up to the school is that what you're saying that's right they're but it's not just the lunch because like that would probably be more under the helicopter 
part of the graph, you know, because they're like, well, they have to have their lunch, you know. But no, the 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 lawnmower parent is the type that would bring, like in the article <laughs> um, from weareteachers.com, the article states that the lawnmower parent would actually show up in the office, call the teacher to the office, and give them the swell water bottle for their child because their child left their water bottle at home and the child had been texting from the classroom saying, you have to bring my water bottle. I can't even face the water fountain. There's a long line for the water fountain. I don't want to have to wait in the line. You have to bring me my water bottle. And no, I don't want to be embarrassed and be called out of class to come to get it. So can you just make get my teacher to get it? And she'll just drop it in my backpack. So is this really happening, Lissa? Or is this just some, some, it's not just some journalist who's like, I'm going to, you know. No, it absolutely happens. Okay. I do an art show every spring. Okay. Well, there's always every child, which I know y'all are not going to like this, but every child gets a ribbon. Like they might get a ribbon for creativity or for the best use of color or for the best use of imagination or for the best use of the elements of art. But then there are first and second place ribbons that are awarded also. So everyone gets a ribbon that highlights something great about their piece. But all the children know that the first and second place winners are the ones that advance to the next level outside of the school. Well, last year I had a parent call me and say that she needed to know if her child got a first place ribbon the night before night before so she was like i know you know i know all the ribbons are home so why did she need to know right so i said ah sorry i can't tell you that that stinks you know honestly i just can't even recall like i kind of tried to like ooh, i don't know like you know bypass it and she was like she was like no you have to tell us like i can't i can't let her show herself if she doesn't get a first place ribbon she will show herself she will throw a fit And I just can't let that happen in front of everybody. So you have to let us know because I'll just hold her out from school. So she'll miss it. She'll miss. Are you serious? I'm serious. So she'll miss the day of school. That way she doesn't have to go to school like every other child and see if she did or did not get the first place ribbon. Yeah. And this, this is like your definition, like removing all obstacles. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Wow. So is that a, is that a, a rare case or do you see lots of other stuff? No, it's very, it's very common. And then unfortunately the problem is what the child ends up doing. So then they go on to high school or they go on to college and they flunk their first, you know, history 101 test. And instead of saying, gosh, I really need to buckle down and study next time. I shouldn't have been talking to that guy. You know, I should have been studying instead. Then they, they go on these forums and they bash the teacher and give them a bad rating. And they, you know, go see the dean about the professor and they, you know, just stuff like that. Like, or they just, they just drop the class because they don't know how to face any bit of adversity at all. So I've seen kids that get ribbons and then they don't get ribbons and they're great little artists, but good for them that they had to, you know, experience the good and the bad. I tell my students all the time, I never won a single art competition until I was like in 10th grade and I entered a photography contest and I didn't even do photography, but I finally was like, geez, let me just take some pictures and send it in. And I won. I was like, what? 
So, Lisa, I've got I've got something interesting for you. You were an art major. Is that right or wrong? Like, like, That's did you right. take art in college? I did. I did. Absolutely. So how much do you think the 2008 financial crisis affected the number of <laughs> students taking art, like like an art history major or an art major of any kind? I mean, I would feel like it had to have, if their parents had anything to do with it, <laughs> it would have had to have a negative effect. I'm not paying for art. That's yeah, exactly. Is. You can do whatever you want, as long as it's not art. Not art. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you're saying there was a change, huh, Russ? There was an article, there was an article in Quartz, and there, you're right, there was a change, and it was a fairly significant change. And so if you, if you look at, um, you know, like the humanities, you know, they were doing pretty well before the financial crisis. And then they fall off a cliff. So I'm going to give you the good first. The top, uh, the top five majors that change in their percentages. Okay, this is this one really surprised me. Exercise science increased 131 uh, percent from a. It's a share of U.S. college majors from 2008 to 2017. What What, what does exercise increase? science mean though? Like I don't know. I think it's like kinesiology and and um, you know like um, uh, I'm trying to think of the like fitness management majors and things like that. Like but you're saying that to, that like spiked since 2008. Yep, 131%. And I don't know whether it's people becoming interesting, interested in becoming more fit or opening a gym. I don't really know. Yeah. And I'm going to get people that are like, oh, that's what exercise major is. Great. Thank you. Email us, please. Um, <laughs> so nursing increased 78%. Health and medical uh, increased 57%. Computer science increased 50%. And engineering increased uh, 40%. So I, I, I see all the, those, yeah. That's the good. Um, English majors, English language and literature uh, incre- decreased 40%. Ouch. Uh, that's pretty significant, right? That's 40%. Po- po- poli-sci majors decreased 32%. Education majors decreased 32%. Oh, man. That's no good for us, folks. Uh, liberal arts majors decreased 24%. They probably needed to. Yeah. Sociology majors decreased 22%. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, actually not even a friend, somebody, uh, a friend that works for our company is a, is a sociology major. And then uh, I'm going to go up one more to the number six position, which is arts, which uh, decreased 19%. So. Uh, so I can see all of those, except education seems like the outlier or not really an outlier, but just seems like it shouldn't be in that batch. You know, you would think so, but education, they cut the hell out of education in 2008. Like every single state in the union saw a very significant decrease in education funding. And most states are not back to, or a lot of states rather are not back to the 2008 levels relative. um, If you adjust for inflation of funding. So, you know, kind of if you look at like state legislators or state legislatures, um, education is a very large percentage of their budget. And so they, you know, kind of never let a crisis go to waste. They use that to cut education. And then whenever the money came back, which it largely has, state budgets are pretty much back where they were. And so, you know, you've really got to question that. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I do think that. There is a place in the world, obviously, for arts and, you know, education, obviously, is very important. And, you know, poli sci, yes. Literature, yes. I mean, Eng- a lot of English majors, um, you know, it's a general degree, but they go on to do other things. And so, you know, I, I do think I do see the, the the pragmatic nature of this in that, yeah, if you go get a nursing degree, 
nursing is always going to have a job, basically. If you are any good at it, then you're always going to be able to find a function, at least for the next 50 years. And so I can certainly understand that. And I, I agree with Lisa. I think that there's probably a lot of parents out there who are like, you know what? I'm If I'm paying for it, I'm not going to do it. Or just saying, look, go get a degree in exercise science. And then if you'd like to pursue your dream of, of the arts, then great. Go back and finish up that major too. Yeah. I mean, my parents advised me to get an education degree along with my arts. And I am so thankful for that. I really am so thankful for that because I can't say that it, I naturally, I always knew I wanted to grow up and teach children art, but I never visualized it in the school setting. I always knew I wanted to have a place like an art studio where kids came and, you know, like I have, which is an after school art studio, but I never visualized myself growing up as a school teacher. So when my, when I would say that I wanted to be an artist or when I would say that I wanted to major in art, you know, my, my mother was definitely helpful in saying, well, you know, you need something to be able to fall back on in case it doesn't work just selling paintings or having an art studio. You should, you know, you're so great with kids. You should at least get your education degree. If you never use it, fine, but at least major in that to where you have that degree. And I'm so thankful because the truth is two of the schools that I worked at didn't have an art position available or a gifted position, which is what my master's is in. They didn't have those available. It's very hard to come across an art position or a gifted position. And so I was able to teach regular ed in the meantime. The article points out that turning away from humanities might not actually pay off. The author um, of the study pointed out that humanities majors typically don't make much less than people who choose to study computer science or finance. And the differences are probably less uh, about the chosen major than the person who studies finance tends to be more interested in making a lot of money. So it's really interesting. The second thing that kind of surprised me was our president has caused an increase in folks wanting to get back into history classes. So at Yale, uh, it's one of the top history is now one of the top declared majors for students. That's good. You know, there's nothing wrong with. So what do you do with a history degree? I I think people with a with a history major, they do a lot of things. I have a friend of mine that's a history major. She's a curator of those uh, exhibits and things like that. So, Ah. well, yeah, so they they do it all. Changing gears and speaking of doing it all. Have you heard about the uh, North Carolina middle school teacher that was suspended because she posted a video of her doing pole dancing on her Facebook page? But like pole dancing, like at her home, you know, she's apparently a pole dancer. student or a teacher? Teacher. Um, pole dance what? instructor. And the, uh, oh. the district suspended her for it. So her name is Candace Mason, and she was about to start teaching sixth graders at West Hope County Middle School. And then she was suspended um, because she's basically a part-time pole dance instructor. And she had posted a video on her uh, Facebook page. And um, they were citing basically like their social media policy and the way to represent yourself as a teacher as the reason for suspending her now this happened a few weeks ago i have been like scouring the internet trying to be like well was she terminated or was she just suspended while they (laughs) no it's for research (laughs) jinx i've been scouring the internet looking for the video yes I've, i've searched every term possible um, on pole dancing and I just, I can't find what I'm looking for. He's reached the end of the internet. Yes. 
I don't know. So she, you can't you can't find the outcome, right? Yeah, I can't find the outcome. But but even let, let's just let's just explore this for a little bit. Like one, should she have been suspended? And two, like, would it be outrageous if she was terminated over this? What's well, I I I think in this case, and this is probably the first time I've ever uttered these words. There's pole dancing, and then there's pole dancing. <laughs> You so, might be right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> like, I think that there are people that take pole dancing as like, like exercise. a form of exercise, right. right? And so if she was a Zumba instructor, you know, would you suspend her? But I mean, you know, if if I think, you know, it's like the Supreme Court's um, you know, definition of, you know, indecency. I know it when I see it. And so if she crossed the line according to the district standards, then I think it's going to be just just it's going to be tough. Right. But I think that teachers should be able to have a reasonable life, you know, outside of school. And I think that this, you know, is just an example of it kind of encroaching. Like if she wants to be an exercise instructor and she has a business and that's what she does, then that's fine. I mean, it's not like she's a stripper. Right. And, you know, it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Lissa, what say you? I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I know that I guess like let's say she. You said she's a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, I think I mean, it's, it's middle on, school, sixth grade. But yes, right. So they're on social media, and they could come across, you know, these videos, and that is distracting. In, in the video, classroom. I mean, the vi- I'll link to the story um, on our show notes, but she's fully clothed in the video, and it's like a yeah. pole pole in a room. It's just such a tough time of life in middle school, and there's. Hormones going crazy, and they're halfway paying attention anyway. And I just, I can see where it's a bit of a conflict. I think it would be no different than if you had a teacher that every Friday and Saturday night was completely hammered and wasted at the local restaurants and bars to where they're they're making a scene, you know, to where people know them as that teacher that's wasted, you know. It yeah, does that affect their ability to teach? No, not at all. They're still a great teacher, but after a while, it. I mean, no, I don't think you can. Re, I don't think you can fire somebody over that. But it is a stigma that that then surrounds that teacher, surrounds those students, surrounds that school. So I mean, it's just it's just tough. I mean, I don't I don't think it's fair for their private lives to be pride into but let's all be honest if if you guys worked with somebody whether it was in cubicles or whatever and you knew that somebody three cubicles down taught pole dancing lessons you think that y'all all wouldn't talk about it it's not just the schools that are raising eyebrows it's not just the parents that are raising eyebrows it's people so i mean this yeah, would be spend a them over it. i mean you know i run a company if somebody had no i don't i don't think you would either pole dance on the side, then I would suspend okay. them. First of all, I plead the fifth. I'm not going to say what I would do in that situation at all, but I, I know for a fact I probably wouldn't suspend the person. And <clears throat> I just took a peek at the video. It's on, it's linked in the, uh, the story there. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. Is it, I don't, you know, after you seeing the video, I can see how it could be distracting. I'm going to be honest. Like I, I'm like changing my opinion here. Oh, it's all right. Midstream. I just think it's distracting. If you have a child in those classes, I can see where right now you guys are like, well, what does it matter? It doesn't matter. And I get it that it wouldn't matter if you're working if I was in a, sixth grade a law kid, office. 
I would but watch the hell out of that video. Grader, right. Yeah. And, and then you're, and then everything that she does in the classroom is undermined because they've seen that video. So, so let me throw this one at you then. Cause this is what I know. But like, if, if I was a news director and my six o'clock anchor had done the same thing, I, I could see that being an issue for sure, at least with my bosses saying, what are you doing? We, this girl's supposed to be, or, or man or whatever is supposed to be credible. And they're, they're putting this stuff out there online. It's a violation of the social media policy and the way they represent themselves. I could see them trying to at least make that case. If you're asking me, should she have been suspended or not? I don't know. It depends on what policies they already had in place, but I know lots of schools have lots of policies that, you know, have acts unbecoming of a teacher acts unbecoming of a role model. And oh, yeah, I there's, have, there's moral turpitude clauses. Right. And, and I would everything. imagine that would be an act unbecoming of a role model. And and so teachers are role models. That's it. And she may be great at those courses, but she probably shouldn't have posted it out there. You know, that's that was where she went wrong. So hmm. I know everyone listening has probably got their own opinion. I just wanted to throw it out there. I don't have the answer, but... Uh, well, I'd like to know, Nick, next week how many clicks you get to that link in the show notes yeah. <laughs> to the video. It's definitely going to be it's definitely gonna be more popular in my art history uh, <laughs> college major article for sure. Thanks. Thanks for, thank, thanks for, you know, o- overshadowing everyone. Yeah. You know, I do what I can. I, always, one I think last week I had the uh, superintendent that poops and this week I had the pole dancing middle school teacher. So <laughs> you just save all the great stories for yeah, yourself. I know how to pick them. All right, guys, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Sure. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is an educator, blogger, and speaker from Toronto. Matthew Morris uses his website, MatthewRMorris.com, to speak about race, culture, and education, and he also has a big following on Medium.com. Matthew, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. I guess I did decent the first time. You did great. You did great. Um, (laughs) Last week, we talked about a fairly light topic, and that was about getting rid of your teacher's desk. If anybody missed that, be sure to go and catch it because you removed your desk from your classroom. It's a lot of fun. Um, But you were kind enough to come back and talk about a more, I guess I would say, delicate and important topic today. And it's related to an article you wrote back in January titled 10 Ways to Make Your Classroom More Inclusive of Black Students. And before we dive into what those ways are, tell me why you felt it was important to write this. Um, I felt it was important because um, I'm a black male and an educator. And um, part of my journey at the very beginning of when I decided to get into education, I did a lot of reflecting. Um, and when I was going through um, my experiences as a child and thinking about some of my friends, even some of my family, my own brother, um, it was it was kind of saddening for me to see some of the outcomes now as a grown man that some of these people who I grew up with, you know, geniuses in their own right, intellectual people, um, just kind of got the short end of the deal. And, and I feel that education was one of the biggest um, impediments to their, you know, lack of quote unquote traditional success. What was missing for, for them just as an, an outside observer? I think it was a combination of many things. It has to do with the setup, the the style in which um, teachers taught in the late nineties. And that's still, I guess it's prevalent today. Um, the uh, stereotypical assumptions based on, you know, what black males um, may wear to class or the way they may answer a question or, you know, just the very, the superficial things that occur when people interact. Um, those are big time blockers when um, a teacher's, you know, charged with, um, you know, giving um, a, the student 
um, the opportunity to reach their fullest potential. Before you wrote this article and kind of put yourself out there with it, did you have other teachers, educators, colleagues come up to you and, and ask for your advice? Yeah, absolutely. Both in positive ways and, and also stereotypical ways that, that were negative and kind of the quote unquote microaggressions that I felt too. So part of the reason why I wrote this is not only from my experience as a student and my, but also my experience as a teacher too, as a black male um, teacher and teachers asking me, you know, I remember one teacher came up to me um, in my first or second year of teaching and she had a little second grade boy in her class that had long hair, a black boy. And she asked me, Oh, how do I, how do I tie up his hair? I'm like, take the, you know, the, the hair tie off your wrist and tie his hair. How you tie everyone else's hair with long hair. Um, and also, you know, positive, positive aspects of people asking how to best um, try to reach um, black, black males, especially, but black students in general too. Um, yeah, definitely within my building and outside my building on, on Twitter or in social media as well. I mean, I guess I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you're not comfortable answering this, but do you even see like in the school that you're in now that some classes are are very much lacking in this department? Yeah, it's I, of course I do. You know, it's it's tough, right? It's um, it's to be it's urban black males, hip hop culture. It's a it's a different culture and a different world. And we have to acknowledge that there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. So it's like me going to a foreign country and trying to teach knowing the way I, I teach right now, it may not work. It may work. It may not. And the question then is going to be, do I sit there as a teacher and say, Oh, it's not working because of them or it's not working because of me. And I think that it takes a balance and, uh, you know, it takes a kind of negotiation on both sides to, to get the best out of, you know, education and classroom time. What's the feedback been like from, uh, you know, I know you put it out there on your blog and on Medium. Have Has anybody been like, thank you so much? Or what have you heard from people? Yeah, definitely. So the the origins of that blog actually came, I was asked to uh, write for a magazine in Canada here called Education Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, it was actually a, a part of a longer piece that was called um, teaching while black. So it was basically a piece on my uh, experiences as a black male educator in the working in the inner cities. And that part was kind of like the ending of like 10 ways to make your classroom more inclusive for black students. And, um, the feedback has been, been great. That's one of my, um, um, one of my pieces that I'm more proud of because I think that it's not only just, you know, my, my, uh, my thoughts thinking out loud that I tend to do on my blog, but it's something that you could, as a teacher, practically implement in your classroom tomorrow. So saying that, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump in. I, if, if you had to, I know you, you encourage everybody to do all these things, but you also in there say, you know, it's just mo- most important that you even try. And so right. if somebody was going to try and they were going to take one of the 10 things, mm-hmm. which one would you suggest they start with? I think the easiest one to start with is making your, the literature, the text that you use inside your class reflective of the students that you teach and if you teach in a school that is all you know white kids or all south asian kids or all asian kids i think my a 1a to that would be to uh, give your students the opportunity to understand that the world is multi-ethnic and it's important for us if we're going to get anywhere with education and and society i know that's a little bit grand but it's important for us to understand that 
you know, we, we, we are not all the same. We do come from different cultures and different backgrounds. And it's, it's important for us to acknowledge those cultures and backgrounds and validate them. So I think for a teacher walking in, if they wanted to implement something easy, it's, you know, get on Google, um, search up some resources that are reflective of the uh, non-traditional figures that appear in our classrooms. What's it like? And I know I'm kind of getting personal, but what's it like if you're a student and you're in a class and you need to select a book and Mm -hmm. you don't seem to relate with any of those books? What's that like? It's tough, but as a kid, I don't think it, and you know, I'm far removed from my high school experience. And I think the the one thing I would say to that is that it's, it's more subconscious than it actually is on the surface, right? You don't really realize um, in the moment, you, it's almost like an internalized feeling that you're, um, you're less than, right? That your experience isn't valid in a traditional form, right? And it goes beyond just the text. It's the people within the school who are the who are the, you know, the administrators and who are the custodial um, services, you mm-hmm. know, who, who's in the office all the time, who are the people that the teacher acknowledges the most for positive things, who are the people that, for better or for worse, teacher acknowledges for negative things. And it's, it kind of gets cyclical at times, right? So by the time you're in high school, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, and you haven't seen, you haven't read a story that has anything to do with your life, um, you know, it's, it's internally, you know, challenging to, to kind of have the wherewithal to, to continue to push through. And to be honest, to beside, you know, maybe your family or your personal goals to, to sometimes, you know, it sounds harsh, but even to sometimes see the value within education. Right. Well, and I know another easy thing you suggest is just simply by changing out, you know, signage posters, positive slogan posters in your classroom, right? Yeah. So in the corner of my classroom, I've had it for a couple of years now. Um, my classroom is the the corner. There's a, a poster wall and at the top it says get lit. And in brackets, it has the rest of the word literature. So it's kind of my reading corner. Mm-hmm. I have a carpet there and some bean bags, and my students go there whenever there's, um, independent time or we do deer time, drop everything and read, or, um, you know, we're working on some math and a couple of kids just want to, instead of working at a desk, grab a clipboard and go sit on a bean bag. But above it is a bunch of posters with inspirational quotes from rappers and, and singers. So like there's a quote from Rihanna or J. Cole. I try to get relevant quotes um, from artists that the students are, you know, listening to. And um, every year kids come in, they're like, oh, like they don't. Thinking back, I don't think students, there hasn't been more than a handful of students that has actually come up to me and struck you know, strike a conversation about it, but I've always observed students year after year, just going over there, taking in what's on the wall. And again, it gets back to, you know, it's worth trying something than, than, you know, just maintaining the status quo. Right. Well, and I know uh, on the medium post number five on there, and I don't know if you have it in front of you or not, but it's, it's considered what's called a top highlight. And it's, it's let your students teach, create a structure where you moderate students in the creation. Yeah. So, so tell me about that. One of the challenges of teaching is that um, oftentimes we kind of develop the savior complex and we think that we know best how to educate um, 12 and 13 year olds and eight year olds and 16 year olds. Um, and we're willing to, we're unwilling to give up the reins of the classroom. And um, one of the most powerful experiences that I had within the classroom is um, teaching a, a lesson. I think it was a math lesson. And I thought I was explaining it, you know, well and it went over every kid 
in my classes had not even the quote unquote smart kids who get A's all the time. And, um, you know, I still kind of, it was, it was kind of the elephant in the room. They struggled through the next 30 minutes to kind of do some of the practice work. And then I just sat at home that night and I'm like, you know what? They didn't get it. The next day I went in and I'm like, that, that one was on me. You know, I guess I didn't do a, a good job of teaching that. And I spoke to two students um, later on in the day and I asked them if they would be willing to um, reteach that lesson. I'll give them a couple days and I'll give them some extra points on the next quiz. And they came back. They taught it in a completely different way using their own um, examples and analogies and things like that. And from then, I just kind of have used student teaching as a, as a practice within, within my classroom. Uh, we're not going to go through all 10 items, um, but I will link to them in the show notes. But what else on the list you, you feel like is worth really you know, pointing out? If I was to pick the most important thing on the list, the, the one thing that I would kind of use as the general umbrella is, is the piece on hip-hop education. Um, Dr. Chris Emden out of Columbia University is, I guess, the founder of this uh, kind of hashtag movement on Twitter called Hip Hop Ed. Um, and reality pedagogy. And and he talks about um, utilizing hip hop, not just the raps and the, uh, you know, the hooks and the lyrics to teach, you know, uh, metaphors and similes, but to actually in, engage and re-engage students. So I think, you know, maybe perhaps starting with, instead of using, you know, some dusty old poetry to teach um, your, your uh, literary devices use maybe hip hop lyrics and extend beyond that. That, that to me kind of bleeds into all the other points that I have on that list, such as, you know, foster a classroom environment in which students have a role in hip hop. Everybody has a role that's empowering. It's not just the, the rapper, the MC, the DJ is important. The engineer these days are important. The manager is important. The hype man is important. Um, in the classroom, that could be reflected through allowing students to teach. In my classroom, I have um, a classroom, a digital um, archiver. So in my classroom, I have a, a camera and I have a student. It changes once a month that's designed. Um, they record um, any classroom lessons that are that are more major than the regular everyday less lessons, um, giving students different roles within the classroom. Also, I think part of the whole idea of hip-hop education is to um, and I'm very big on this, um, blurring the boundaries between the school and the home. When students from um, urban communities walk into a classroom and it's completely foreign to their home environment, um, that's, a, that's a big impediment to their learning. So, you know, I bring in the posters of rap artists with inspirational quotes. Um, I have a couple street signs, a couple... Um, inside my classroom, instead of, I just put a couple street signs up from the areas in which they're from. I just make it on the, on a poster. That's cool. Um, yeah, things like that. So I think hip hop education infusing, um, kind of the hip hop culture within the class is, is definitely probably the most powerful way to, um, engage students in their learning. What would you say to the white educator who probably should be doing this, knows they should be doing this, but, but they're concerned that they're not going to be authentic and like, you know what? I can't hang that stuff in my wall. No one's going to believe that, that I mean it. What would you say to that person? Uh, co-create with your students. If you're truly interested in their identity and their culture, 
um, ask them questions. Start with that. They're, if the white educator who is, um, you know, kind of um, nervous about diving off the deep end into this, start with a conversation with kids about the shoes that they wear. How come they, you know, are, wear those shoes, you know? And, and maybe if you like a pair of shoes that you see a student wearing, go out and buy them and come back and say, I, I didn't buy these to be, you know, cool. I bought them because I actually liked them. I, I like them. They look, you know, they look, they look cool. Um, start there. Ask them about the music they listen to. Ask them to put you on the music they listen to. Listen to it. You don't have to like it. There's, I don't like the music that my kids listen to, but I know what they listen to because I talk to them and I ask them and I ask them to play me it. And then we have a conversation over why I don't like their music and why I like my music. It doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that the music I like and the music that they like is still hip hop. Right. Um, because they, they, even the music I listen to they they probably think it is, it isn't even hip hop, you know, but I'm, and that's, you said a key thing, being authentic and being yourself. One of my, my most influential teachers, and I mentioned this before was an eighth grade teacher. And I, I went to school in the inner city and my eighth grade teacher was, uh, uh, old white guy. He was about 61 or 62 years old at the time with a long gray beard and long hair and he was all into native american culture and he was he was irish right and um he just he connected with us because he cared about our culture he cared enough to have community have conversations with us that sometimes veered off what we were doing in math that day well, uh, Matthew Morris, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. It's it's a delicate topic, but it's such an important topic. And I love what you're doing with you, with your blog and you're putting your post on Medium and, and you're putting yourself out there to really to share this knowledge, because I think it's something that, you know, a, a lot of educators may be interested in, but maybe not be comfortable, you know, going up to somebody and asking, how do I do this? So uh, you're really doing great work. Thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, you having me on. Um, if somebody uh, wants to to keep up with you, I, I think I've already mentioned that they can go to uh, MatthewMorris.com, but um, yeah. you like to find people on Twitter as well? Yeah, it's actually MatthewRMorris.com. I, there's so many Matthew Morrises out there. I try to differentiate myself with my oh. middle initial. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes. And uh, my Twitter handle is call me Mr. Morris. So call, call me, abbreviated Mr. Mr. Morris with two R's. Call me Mr. Morris. All right, Matthew. Thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in Class Dismiss. On behalf of Russ with School Status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ward. Go and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.